This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Health and Living and you're listening to an edited recording of the third and final panel session from this year's Health and Living Live 2023 with the theme of Powering Through Life. On this panel, Roshan Kanisan spoke to Stephen Yong, Executive Director and Licensed Financial Planner from Wealth Vantage Advisory on whether you should save like you live forever. Here's the first part of that conversation. Now, the key team here, I think we're going to be touching a little bit more on the money side of things, financial planning and personal finances, and obviously a little bit on how it relates back to your health. Because especially, money is something that is, I guess, you can always kind of procrastinate. I'll deal with the saving later and later, but as you grow, the later gets even later because other things come along the way. Uh, Stephen's going to help us break Tomorrow down... never comes, right? <laughs> oh, it never comes, yeah. Uh, Stephen's going to help us break down the key areas of financial planning that... Uh, young adults should be keeping in mind, especially in the context of having financial flexibility and resilience uh, to take care of our health and our lives. And we'll break down what resilience and flexibility means through this session. Stephen, first question. In between starting your career and retirement, the focus might not be so much on financial freedom. It's that middle, the messy middle here where having flexibility might be the most important part here. So especially in your 20s and your 30s, uh, talk to us a little bit about the keys to having financial resilience and flexibility, what it means and the keys to do that. Sure. So just to kind of start us off, you know, uh, let's look at the overall scheme, actually. So we, there's actually seven stages, actually, when it comes to looking as we head towards financial freedom, actually. So we all start from a stage of financial dependence. We're dependent on our parents, our caretakers, etc. All the way right up to financial abundance, actually, which is actually at the very final stage. And of course, it gets messy in between there, you know. Are you going to reach that freedom? Are you going to be able to, you know, be financially stable? Are you being, going to be able to reach financial freedom or financial independence? Yeah. So kind of delving in today, looking at the key terms that we talked about, financial flexibility and financial resilience, sometimes it's used interchangeably, but there is actually a difference between these two terms as well. So when you actually talk about financial flexibility, it actually means the flexibility that, hey, life's going to happen, things are going to change, you know, you're you know, maybe going to get married, you know, or have kids, or have grandchildren, a career change, moving out of Malaysia to a different country, moving back in life's going to change and you need to be actually flexible because when you look at finances, it's always a snapshot in time. Where are you today? Where you may be headed towards and what actually happens? Well, life happens, right? In between. All right. And the other thing would then be actually about financial resilience. Yeah? So for resilience, a very helpful, you know, as we look at the theme of health today as well, is imagine a rubber band that you're pulling, you know, you're doing exercise, whether that's you know, uh, pulling on weights or, or pulling on a cable while, while you do your exercise. And there's going to be times in life as well where things don't happen the way that you want to. Uh, family emergency, a medical health issue, uh, suddenly uh, you bought a property thinking, hey, 0% down, and suddenly rates go up through the roof like we saw in the last few years as well with over four rate hikes. And then, you know, that's when you actually need to have that resilience or that backup to basically pick yourself up uh, from wherever where you fall. And sometimes not just on yourself, but that you can actually depend and count on others to be there to journey with you to help you out. So looking forward to explore these themes today. Stephen, would you say that Resilience is a prerequisite to getting to financial freedom? Definitely. So, with resilience, uh, right, so an analogy uh, is imagine a hole, all right? So, if you fall into a deep, dark hole and you try to get out, it, it's virtually impossible to drag yourself out from a hole, actually. 
yeah, especially when you're in really deep. And we're, we're seeing that increasingly as well. People, for example, getting into debt, for example, credit card debt, buy now, pay later, ending up uh, struggling to pay. And then what do you do when you don't have money? Oh, you go and take up another personal loan, you go and take up another credit card and actually try to cover that hole. And the hole just gets deeper and deeper, actually. So what you want to do is make sure, hey, if you're going to, you know, uh, before you jump into any hole, make sure that there's a ladder there and make sure that you're, you're prepared. So in real-world terms, this will be talking about things like, you know, personal finance basics. Do you have those backup funds there? Do you have, you know, uh, things like uh, medical coverage in case you need to go for private medical uh, healthcare? So all those things are actually things that you do need to have put into place uh, first and foremost. Uh, your, I tried to visualize that hole that you imagined there and it got me a bit scared. Lah, huh? um, but we'll talk about the tactics to address all of that in a little bit. Um, a lot of times when we talk about personal finance, it seems that we overly focus on two areas, right? Extreme ends. Uh, when, you're, when you're just starting out and you're not aware, you know, and we focus on why you need to start. And then on the other end, it's like, okay, how to retire. But the messy middle is where most of the guidance is needed because as you go through each stage, something always comes up. You perfectly illustrated that earlier when you're younger, maybe you're lower in income, uh, you think you can't save. But as you go along the journey, you get more income, but you have also more expenses, right? And it's not as easy as saying, oh, cut your expenses. These are financial commitments. So maybe uh, paint us a picture here of the uh, kind of financial commitments that come up when you're in your 20s, your 30s, and then in your 40s. And then we'll get into uh, how we should plan for them. So typically when you're looking in the 20s, for a lot of uh, Malaysians actually, this is when you get a uh, credit card, for example, and it becomes so easy, right? Just swap a piece of plastic and gets there. And that's actually very worrying, actually. So in, in the last few years, uh, bankruptcy, uh, the minimum amount that you need to be declared a bankrupt in Malaysia actually rose to 50,000 ringgit. So it was primarily for use because they were getting into debt, actually. So you think, oh, the, the amount or threshold for bankruptcy is higher, it's harder to get bankrupt, right, technically. Uh, interestingly, the opposite actually happened. Although the threshold went up, people found it as a reason, hey, you now you can spend more and you won't get bankrupt. Bankruptcy numbers actually went up. And the yesterday's uh, budget announcement as well was actually addressing that as well. So they're actually looking to further increase the bankruptcy rate, you know, on, on the personal side up to 200,000 ringgit actually. So hopefully, you know, that gives, you know, because once you're bankrupt, that has actually a lot of repercussions as well. So typically in your 20s, you know, when you just get access to credit cards and, and that, that's a key issue as well. Uh, other key commitments as well was, you know, getting a car. But then getting a car, you know, is how do you view that? Is a car just to get you from point A or point B? Or is it a luxury statement? Should you be getting a local, locally made car versus a continental car, especially when you're starting out? So there's always that balance right between uh, needs and wants as well. Then in 30s, uh, we start looking at, looking at property in housing. There's this joke, right? You know, what, what's the number one thing that Malaysians like to do? Buy property. What's the second thing that Malaysians need, love to do? Renovate that said property, right? <laughs> so you can see, you know, more and more actually, and it, that's not cheap. Uh, even renovation causes, there's been six price hikes uh, already over the last couple of years. And, and all those are costs. Most people, you don't buy, most people don't buy a property outright. You actually take on debt. And you're talking about long-term debt, 30, 35 years actually, to, to look for that. So that is basically a long-term uh, financial uh, commitment as well. Then there will be those, you know, and once you hit your 30s, 40s, you know, you're maybe a young family, you start having children, and then that's when you're facing the sandwich generation. You might have aged parents that you need to take care of, and then you have young children that you need to take care of as well. Um, and costs are going up as well. 
even things like, for example, uh, private schools, you know, uh, international schools. We used to think all oh, private schools, international schools, all those, you know, only the Angmore expats only go there. Later statistics is private schools is actually about 60% of the students in uh, private schools are actually Malaysians nowadays as well, which means, again, there's increased commitments as well. And then once you're headed, headed into your 40s, you know, you're looking at, okay, things like, you know, your long-term uh, healthcare costs as well, medical hospitalization uh, coverage. You're looking at, you know, what if you pass away unexpectedly as well. So there'll be costs like estate administration costs and all that. So, you know, definitely a lot of things to think about throughout your life journey. So I think the clear point here is that every stage, there's always going to be something more to think about. Uh, so the idea of I'll save later is also limited in that sense. Uh, and it might be better to start off, even if you can save a very small amount of money, it, is it valuable to begin with, let's say, even if it was like a 1% savings rate as opposed to not saving at all? How do you view the importance of building the habit when you're younger? All right. And saving like you'll live forever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Technically, if you wanted to save like you could live uh, forever, so very general rule of thumb, uh, this actually originated in the, in the States actually when they were talking about FIRE, for those who have heard of that, the financial independent retire early movement. So rough calculation would be actually 25 times your annual expenses actually. So uh, now, let's say you are uh, an expenses 100,000, you just need to 25 uh, times that, so that's about 2.5 million, and basically you, at, at a rate of 4%, uh, yeah, that would be sufficient uh, to basically last uh, your entire uh, lifetime. Of course, that gets a little bit longer if you actually want to really, really live uh, forever. So it basically means that you know, nowadays we are actually living longer as well. So generally, you know, just, just eyeing the room, you know, general, very conservative life expectancy here in, in Malaysia. Uh, would be actually about 79 for, for women. Uh, it's about 74 for, for men. So taking about 85, you know, is, is a reasonable uh, amount. Uh, but there can be longevity risk as well. Your, your grandparents, great-grandparents, everyone lives past 100. Hey, you should be planning as well that you're going to be living, you know, for a longer period of time as well. But it's going to change as well. And things are continuing to change. So I talked about age, for example. A newborn baby with the latest statistics from Malaysia, uh, a baby girl just born uh, today, life expectancy has already gone up to 83, actually, for Malaysians and for a baby boy has actually gone up to 79. So people are generally living longer, better healthcare, etc. And for returns as well, previously you could run at a rate of a 4% withdrawal rate for retirement. That doesn't work anymore, you know. Returns generally have come down. People are living actually longer lives. So you need to be planning a lot more ahead actually. You're listening to an edited recording of the third panel session at this year's Health and Living Life 2023. We'll be right back after this break on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living. This is an edited recording of the third panel session at this year's Health and Living Life 2023 on whether you should save like you live forever. Here's the second part from that session. There are a lot of, I guess, uh, factors that we need to that go into retirement planning or retirement calculations. And we've got a few questions here. Actually, one is directly on about FIRE. So let's start with that one. Uh, many aspire to retire young. Uh, generally, what would you say is the fastest way to achieve it? Uh, and uh, hope the answer is not dependent on the individual. So let's, let's try and get a bit more general with this one. Sure. So generally, if you are serious actually about achieving financially, in, being financially independent and re to retire early, you need to be saving or investing at least 40% of your income actually, at the very minimum. 
Now, I know that sounds a lot. Uh, good thing is that most folks, if you're employed, your EPF takes care of 20% of that, which means on your own, you just need to cover the remaining 20%. But let's say if you really are trying to push it earlier, you want to be, you know, uh, retired really early, you know, uh, 40s uh, or 30s even, it would actually mean that your uh, savings rate you know, needs to be higher than that. Often, you're breaching 50, 60, 70 uh, percent actually. Yeah. So it's all about finding that balance, right? I mean, if you're like me and, and you love coffee, you know, I'm not asking you, hey, stop drinking coffee. That's not going to make you a millionaire or not or make or break that, all right? So basically, it's to cover all your needs and select what are the ones, what's important uh, for you and your life and your loved ones. So be very targeted, be very disciplined, and then you, know, you can actually head towards that. Uh, what do you think about the, because uh, this is something we used to talk about in Ring Incense quite a bit, the savings equals income minus, no, wait, hold on. Uh, yeah, savings equals income minus expenses. That, that you take your uh, savings out first before you think about your expenses. What do you think about that model? Does it work for everybody or is it a bit more contextual? Sure. So the whole idea behind that, uh, that your savings is your income minus expenses, which actually means that the first thing you need to do every time you get your pay, your income coming in, is actually paying yourself first. That's the first thing that you want to do. Now, you know, uh, how many people here do budgeting? All right. Oh, there, there are a few hands. Okay, pretty, pretty good crowd. All right. So, are you, are you, are you uh, happy about the number of hands or were you expecting more? Uh, sorry, I was uh, a little bit pessimistic on that. <laughs> Actually, I wasn't expecting any hands, but thank you for all. Raise your hands earlier. All right. So, for all those who do budgeting, hey, that, that's great. I, I used to do budgeting for, I started probably my teens. I did budgeting for about two, two plus decades in, in my life, all right? But, you know, you actually reach a stage where you, even if you don't necessarily want to track each and every single expense, but at the very high level, you do need to have a budget. Why? The whole idea of a budget is to pay. Pay who? Pay yourself. And not, not yourself today. You are actually paying for future you, actually. So you're actually putting a funds aside for your future. So the moment your funds come in, move a certain percentage uh, portion out, you know, uh, put it in a different account. If it's, if it's difficult uh, for you, if you're habitual, you know, the moment you see cash in your account, there's a difficulty, uh, get a bank where you don't have an ATM card or, you know, put your ATM card in, in, in your freezer and just freeze it up or something like that. Just, just lock it away and make sure, you know, that you do put yourself first. It does truly work and uh, with compounding, it makes a big difference over time as well. I have a really important question. Have you ever recommended a client to freeze their ATM card? And two, has anyone actually done it? Uh, we have mentioned it. Uh, I, I believe uh, we're half joking when, when saying that, but you know, the concept still, still holds here. Uh, Stephen, on this continuing theme, we've got a few more questions coming in, and um, a lot of it is focused on retirement, so let's get into it. What are the actual figures for financial freedom? Uh, so EPF recommends 240,000 upon reaching retirement. Of course, that number is based on 1,000 ringgit a month for 20 years. So if we've been listening to you correctly, longevity risk is something we're increasingly seeing. And if you want to spend more than a thousand ringgit at retirement, so this is not even including inflation, the calculation gets a bit more complicated than that. So break it down for us, please. Sure. Let, let's do another informal poll, shall we? How many of you can live on 1,000 ringgit a month? All right. All right. So the truth is the numbers that actually from EPS statistics, this is actually what is known as the minimum basic savings amount, actually, assuming the age of 55. What's the minimum that you just really, really cover uh, basic needs itself? If you're looking about the, the ballpark average, uh, let's say you're about you know, uh, 10 to 20 years away from retirement, and uh, typically if you want to be comfortable in Malaysia, say about 10,000 ringgit a month before factoring in uh, inflation, you would actually be looking at uh, approximately 2 to 3 million ringgit actually, is what you 
would actually need for your retirement funding. If you're already a retiree right now, uh, you're getting by about, say, you know, uh, five to 7,000 uh, ringgit per month on average expenses, you could probably do about uh, one or to one and a half million. That'll be sufficient. Uh, but of course, if you're still in, in your 20s and retirement's a long time away, heck, uh, retirement probably doesn't ring a bell actually with the, the younger generation because retirement is this thing, right? They're so far away. Why am I even... Uh, thinking or looking looking at it right now, but just looking at you know, do you desire financial independence? How do you actually uh, look at that to be? Do you actually want to work the rest of your life? And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, retirement is a, actually a relatively new concept. Previously, people just worked as long as they could uh, until well, people couldn't work anymore. But it's all about having that flexibility. Actually, can you actually choose if you desire to to not work, or could you choose to work on something that you're passionate on without getting paid? Imagine you, know, you can go to, your, go to your boss and say, okay, I, I love to work here. You don't have to pay me. All right? I got enough money already for the rest of my, my life. So basically, that unlocks a lot of you know, realms of possibilities of what you can do. And an uh, interesting thing I found as well over the last few years as well is the number of Malaysians who are actually opting for semi-retirement is actually increasing. So what that means is that they spend you know, their 20s, 30s, you know, maybe early 40s really building up that, that strong buffer. And then they retire, say, at age uh, 40, semi-retire. So basically, you just need your income to cover your expenses. Don't touch your retirement funding yet. Let it continue to grow until you know, your so-called desired retirement age, whether that's you know, 55 or 60 or whatever number, and you have more than sufficient. So you're basically finding that balance. 2030s, you work hard. And then say, for example, you have children, or you want to spend more time with parents, family, and you're semi-retired, so you have the best of time. And you, know, you can still work, find some fulfillment uh, with that as well. And it just gives you that flexibility there where it comes to time as well as finances. I guess that's a, also a great way to talk about the definition of financial freedom, right? The ability to not work, but the choice to do so once you've reached a certain target age. Um, and when you talk about retirement uh, savings, or at least retirement planning, that, that number, uh, when I was briefly doing uh, financial planning as well, it's always a good exercise to just go through, ask yourself the question, uh, how much do you how much in today's money would you like to spend when you retire? And then go to any investment calculator online and you'll be able to find that inflation-adjusted number. A lot of times, um, it might be, you might be over-optimistic, but it's also important to calculate things like when you retire, the likelihood and the hope is you don't have loans to pay for, uh, particularly the house loan, and hopefully the kids are no longer your problem. Uh, I think that's the hope. Um, what else goes into... What else goes into retirement fund calculations, Stephen? And what are things that maybe we forget or there's some of the common myths around this number? Sure. All right. So we're looking at retirement. I was first touching a couple of things that, that uh, Roshan mentioned um, as well. Uh, yeah. So that's definitely the number that you want to look at for retirement. Uh, clearing debt, especially for your own residential property, helps a lot because you don't want to be carrying that debt into your old age, uh, yeah. So if it's uh, your own staying property, it's great to clear it off. Uh, nowadays, there's options for reverse mortgages as well, which, you know, you can actually put up your property as collateral and get income from there. So that can be an option as well. Basically, unlock the property and it doesn't get sold uh, until at the point of uh, passing as well. Uh, one other common myth is that expenses goes down during your retirement years. That's not exactly true. It, it may go down a little bit. You know, uh, studies show roughly about 10%, 20% at most. But a lot of other expenses are actually going to go up as well. 
And imagine you suddenly have a lot more time, you might actually be spending more doing a little bit more traveling, deciding that, hey, you didn't get to cook meals at home while you're busy working, you spend a bit more uh, time and, and costs as well, you know, cooking and you know, various other costs uh, as well. You know, picking up new hobbies, like the previous panel talked about, picking up gardening, for example. Yeah? Uh, largely free, but there would still be costs associated uh, with that as well. So you do need to plan. The expenses are there. Um, another key number would be actually inflation. Now, official inflation rate in Malaysia is roughly about 3%. Yeah, and uh, comparing from Q1 to Q2 this year, uh, inflation actually went down in Malaysia. Now I see some disbelieving eyes over there. It actually dropped from about 3% to 2.6%. But if you're actually talking about actual inflation on what's happening on things like food, for example, in Klang Valley, uh, food prices for the first half of the year actually went up by 7% uh, within the first half. And it went up even higher during the pandemic years. During the pandemic, it went up about 4 to 5% every single quarter uh, during the pandemic, actually. So certain things are going to go up. So if you want to factor in, you need to be estimating inflation to be at least 4 to 5%, uh, actually. And it doesn't seem much, but like Roshan said, plug it in the calculator and you can see that the cost actually goes up very significantly over a period of time as well. Uh, there are some questions here on property, which I'll get into in a second. But um, there's one here on if you're in your late 20s or early 30s, say earning between four and a half to five and a half thousand ringgit, what are the key things to keep in mind in terms of how much to save, invest, that sort of thing? And maybe we can also merge that with another question in terms of how much savings should go into investments. So let's start with your 20s and 30s. If you're earning between four and, uh, four and a half and five thousand, key things to keep in mind when you're saving and investing. Sure. So, so over here, we're talking about key ratios. So as mentioned, you, know, you want to keep your savings investments at least 20%. In your 20s, 30s, you probably don't have uh, much commitment, so you can actually push that to 40, 40 50% uh, of your income. Because uh, if anything, as you actually get older, it actually becomes harder actually to save and invest if you know, your expenses are going to go up as well. The moment you buy a property, for, for example, and there goes a significant chunk as well. So if you're looking at things like uh, other liabilities, like a higher purchase on your vehicle, for example, you should be keeping that about, uh, at most, uh, equivalent to a one year's annual income. Or you know, the monthly repayment should be about uh, less than 10%, actually, uh, of your overall cost. So if you do buy a property at that age, you're actually looking at all your debts. Your debt service ratio should be less than 35%. So less than one third of your pay should be actually used for paying for financial commitments. Any more than that, and you will start actually start to feel stretched as well. Um, another thing is that you don't want to allocate every single ringgit. You do need a little bit of buffer. So most people, once you have actually allocated, okay, this much for savings, this much for my bills, dining, etc., you should be still keeping you know, roughly between at least uh, plus minus a thousand ringgit just as a buffer. You know, uh, I mean, their weddings, birthdays, and and things to att uh, to attend and costs as well. So just keeping that uh, buffer in as well really helps. Now, as part of the savings ratio, um, obviously, obviously for a lot of us, uh, if you are employed, fully employed you are contributing 11% to EPF, you're getting another 12 to 13% from the employer. So you've got roughly 23% going there, albeit the fact that um, EPF return rates are not as aggressive as other things may be. So taking that into consideration, how much of our other savings should be going into investing into uh, global funds, uh, ETFs, that sort of thing, more aggressive investing when you are in that 20, 30-year 30 uh, 30 bracket? So generally, so the, when you look at actually investing, the idea is what is your time frame in mind? Or actually even before that, why are you even investing in the first place? There needs to be actually a goal, otherwise you know, there's, there's no point. As you know, there's this quote from the book Alice in Wonderland where the Cheshire Cat actually uh, asked, uh, uh, was talking to Alice actually. Then Alice asked the Cheshire Cat, oh, uh, 
where do I go from here? And then the Chasari cat asked, uh, where do you want to go? And he said, I don't know. And then the Chasari cat then answered, then it doesn't matter, isn't it? You know, if you don't know where you're going, then, then there's actually no purpose to actually whichever direction that you're headed towards. So similar to that, every single thing that you do needs to actually have a goal or purpose. Is it meant for your financial independence, your retirement? Are you saving up for a wedding, a car, a dream home, a home upgrade, you know, a major renovation, any large cost? Everything needs to actually have a goal uh, behind that as well. So generally, when you're looking at investing, all right, so one thing is that uh, you do want to avoid being overly concentrated as well. So this can happen in various forms. For some, when you just start out investing, or EPF low, FD low, you know, because that actually seems right, that's the simplest, easiest ways. And you know, it seems so complex, there's so many different investments out there, so many scams out there, it can actually feel pretty fearful as well. But with that, it is actually a risk if you don't actually invest a little bit into high-risk investments, you know, going a little bit in equities, etc. So there's actually five major asset classes when it comes to investments. The first will be cash and cash equivalents, so things like you know, fixed deposits, savings accounts, etc. Second will be fixed incomes, so like EPF is generally into fixed income. Other things like bonds, bond funds, uh, fixed price funds, etc. Uh, third would actually be equities, so this goes into the stock market, whether you're buying uh, shares directly, whether you're buying it through unit trust, ETS, you know, or using robo-advisors, etc. to get access to that. Fourth would be properties, whether that's a physical property, uh, residential, commercial, land, or you're buying real estate investment trust. Uh, so basically buying a share in, in basically uh, owning uh, property like malls, uh, data centers, uh, logistic companies, etc. And fifth would be alternative investments, which is into things like uh, gold, uh, other precious metals, peer-to-peer uh, -peer financing, equity crowdfunding, crypto, uh, for the younger generation who collects things like NFTs or, or you know, for the older generation who collect things like Rolexes, all that will fall under alternative uh, investments. So you do need a mix of all those. All right? So it very much does depend on how much uh, risk can you stomach. Or the very simple thing is, is, is called the sleep test. Have you guys heard of that? A sleep test? So basically you do an investment. And then at night, you suddenly wake up or worried about your investment. So if that happens to you, you're probably you know, not investing in the right uh, things when you're worrying too much, all right? So ideally though, in general, you would want to have you know, roughly about 30 to 50% in equities, another 30 to 50% in fixed income. And then for property, it should be about 10%. Cash should be about 5%. Alternatives, about 5 to 10%. So that's a rough uh, ratio. So you do need to actually split it up between different uh, investments and asset classes. And one last thing as well is that uh, you want to avoid single country concentration risk. All right? Single country concentration risk. So that's basically a big word for don't put all your eggs in, in one basket. I mean, we love Malaysia, we're here, but you, know, you shouldn't be investing everything in Malaysia because Malaysia is in the world and you know, different markets, different places in the world are going to move differently as well. So ideally, you need to be targeting the whole at least 50% of your investments outside of Malaysia, yeah? Otherwise, you know, politic, economic risk can be actually very uh, risky as well. And if you've been seeing, you know, like uh, for Malaysians, we like to compare our ringgit with the Singapore dollar, the US don't, dollar. Don't, don't bring that up here now, please. Pain only. It's all any pain. Um, one key thing that's been circling here and a lot of questions on this, so let's try and address it, Stephen. Property. Um, what's your view on property? Uh, whether to buy, to, uh, to rent, and... Uh, what should people do if they feel that they're trapped in a 30-year loan? Okay. All right. So quite a few questions there on, on property. Again? So let's start with the <laughs> buy versus uh, rent first. Sure. All right. So you need to be looking why are you buying? Is it for your own stake? Is it for investment purposes? All right. So because there's going to be very different in the type of properties that, that you look at, the pricing, your needs, etc. And let's say you're assuming you're buying or thinking of buying or renting for your own stay. All right. Uh, 
statistically, it shows that uh, we actually, uh, Malaysians actually move once every eight years, actually. So if you're buying a place, locking yourself to a 30-year commitment, is that really the place that you can actually picture yourself, you know, for the next, you know, uh, 10 to 20, 30 years, you know? Work may actually take you a different uh, place as well. You may choose to actually live at a different place. So you do really want to uh, consider that as well. Um, if you're actually looking at it for rental purposes, then of course you want to check what's the yield, what's the cash-on-cash cash, uh, return. Uh, I'm something like old, old person here, but you know, gone are the good old days where you can just buy any property and you know, oh, expect the price to go up very significantly. Yields, uh, returns have gone down very significantly uh, as well. In, in fact, returns uh, generally for investments pretty much just keeps up with inflation actually. So this actually means that, especially if you're younger, you're not sure where you're going to be at, yeah, you, know, you don't want to be locking on uh, most of your assets into property because property is expensive. Remember, we should be holding about 10% only in property. But imagine you buy a property and suddenly you know, 30-40% of your investments is in your property itself. So that may not actually uh, make sense actually. Yeah? So property will be probably something that you pick up later on. Invest in other asset classes first. Uh, once you've actually built up a little bit of wealth, then only go ahead and really look at property. And uh, for all those who are under pressure, I know Asian culture, a lot of people say, go and buy your property. Before you get married, must buy property, you know? Or, you know, you're getting old, you know, you're single, must buy property. Don't feel pressured by society's expectations. It's totally okay uh, to totally rent for the rest of your life as well. There's nothing wrong with that. Stephen, in line with today, I think it's important to talk about healthcare costs as well. Um, and we've got two minutes left. So, what... Should, what are the key considerations when we talk about healthcare costs and things that we may underestimate when it comes to this as we age? Sure. So the most pressing thing actually about the rising healthcare costs is actually medical inflation. Global medical inflation is roughly about 10%. Malaysia's medical inflation actually over the last three years has been about 12% on average. And 12% is actually on the lower side for Malaysians. Historically, Malaysia's medical inflation is about 13% actually. So healthcare costs do go up very significantly. Another way of putting it is that medical costs will actually double every five and a half years. So let's say you go for a procedure about 100K, which is not very serious. In five and a half years, there's going to be 200K. In another five and a half years, there's going to be 400K and then 800K. Uh, as a trial, actually, yeah. So then you might be looking if it's an option for you, you know, does it make sense actually to get private medical insurance beyond, you know, what your employer actually uh, provides, something that you need long term, especially in view of rising medical costs and also uh, living longer lives uh, as well. Yeah. Talk a little bit about why it's important to do that when you are young and healthy. Why is sure. private medical insurance important? All right. So medical insurance, uh, so that is the element, uh, again, a little bit technical, but basically it's the element of insurability. Yeah, all right? So insurance is basically a cost, don't get me wrong. You just want to be paying as little as possible and get the coverage that you need. Nah. And the insurance uh, provider or the companies behind that are running a business, which actually means that if you are unhealthy, they're actually not going to be willing to cover you or they may actually load costs on top of you. Uh. So it makes sense to get that coverage when you are actually younger. And how it actually works uh, with uh, most insurance coverage in Malaysia due to the high medical inflation is that most Malaysians who opt one is known as an investment link plan. So how that works is every month uh, or every quarter, year, etc., you pay premiums, you buy units in, in an investment link fund right, by the insurance company, and then some costs are actually deducted behind that. Uh. But actually, the, the payments that you make, the premiums that you pay are actually higher, in, especially in your early years, than the actual cost of the insurance itself. Uh. And that is actually needed, so it helps that when you get older, you know, 20s, 30, 40, when the cost of insurance goes up significantly, at least you have built that buffer up. So that uh, returns that you're getting from the funds that you're putting into your insurance helps to keep up 
in the old age, you know, when uh, medical inflation and medical costs really catch up to you. Three takeaways that everyone should take away from this session today. Sure. Actionable takeaways. All right. So very specifically, one is to pay yourself uh, first. Yeah. So go ahead and uh, put away ideally 20% or more. But if you can't do 20%, you know, 1%, 100 ringgit, whatever it is, just start, or whatever that is. Second is protect your downside. So this will be things like making sure you have a backup fund, making sure that you know, if you have a medical emergency that you're going to hospital, get your private medical uh, coverage in place. And third, actually, is that uh, don't let lifestyle creep or inflation affect you. Keep your spending, that means all your debts, all your expenses, uh, etc., to below 60% uh, of your expenses, and you will actually be in good stead ahead. Stephen, on that note, thank you so much for your time. That was an edited recording of the third and last panel session on why wealth matters for your health at this year's Health and Living Life 2023 with the theme of powering through life. You've been listening to Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.